turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to bring the lights up, although we don't need them as much these days, since that hour of sleep slipped away from us last night. Acts chapter 2, as we continue through the season of Lent, and I've been studying a few different things about the earliest a uh, group of Christians that we have a record of. Um, the church was born uh, after Jesus' resurrection. And um, the book of Acts is really a, it's a description of what all happened, what happened to them, what they, what they did about it, uh, amazing things that God did in their midst, and uh, just some qualities and descriptions of what this group of people were, were like. And so we've... Uh, Really, since the year began, just kind of been stirring in some of those ideas. Uh, there hasn't been a more fruitful time in the history of the church than in the very beginning, uh, in that very first uh, generation of believers. And so we have this um, we have this treasure. I mean, in Scripture, of course, the whole thing. But the Book of Acts is really just this gift that God has given us to. To see what it was like before so many things got in the way. You know, before there were buildings, you know, church buildings and church budgets, and before there were um, mega churches and, you know, little bitty churches and uh, celebrity pastors and like those kinds of things that can so easily distract when, when the mission and the focus was just very, very pure. And uh, I think that we have this record in front of us so we can keep going to it and saying, this is, this is what. It, this is what we're going for. This is what we're returning to. This is what we're striving for and that kind of thing. Um, so this week and next week are going to connect around some, some ideas that we'll turn to in a second. But I want to just read two, two, pass, two parts of uh, passages or whatever of Scripture to you. Um, one is it, we've been in for a couple of weeks. It's at the end of chapter 2. It's this amazing description of what these, what this group of people was like, you know. Um, so starting in verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So their devotions were, they were devoted to learning and they were devoted to each other. Um, there was a, they were prayerful and they, like the breaking of bread is considered by most to mean that um, they took very literally Jesus' instruction to like take the Lord's Supper, to take communion together, that kind of stuff. Uh, they were devoted to these things, very, very literal. So everything that Jesus said to do, they, they did it, like to the letter. Um, and, and then it kind of just goes on to describe some things in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common. Okay, so uh, there was this, uh, this thing, like they spent a lot of time together. There was this togetherness, there was this unity of uh, possession and of mission. And there was just this like-mindedness that existed among them. Um, verse, verse 45, 
They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. It was foreign to them that anyone should lack. And not just like, I'm not talking about living in luxury and stuff like that, but that that, uh, no one should be hungry, no one should be without uh, certain certain things, Um, no one should be excluded, no one should be isolated. Uh, So if that means that I had to go sell something to meet someone else's needs so that they could eat or have clothing or shelter, then they were willing to do that. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, so they continued to go to the temple. Um, these were, they, all these, they were Jewish converts to Christianity, and so they continued to go to the temple. That was something that uh, they did not distance themselves from, their, from Jewish worship and stuff like that. There was very much still a part of things, seeing Christ as the fulfillment of all those things. And so they continued to go to the temple. They continued to... Um, to like to exist as as like in Jewish custom, um, that was something that they did together, and they did it every day. And then it says that they were breaking bread in their homes. This is different than the other breaking of bread. In verse forty-two, that breaking of bread is like the Lord's Supper kind of breaking of bread. This breaking of bread is sharing a meal together, and so it was very common for them to be at uh, have other people into their homes, and that was the that was. In the first century, in the ancient Near East, that was the most intimate kind of fellowship that you could have with, your, with friends and stuff like that, uh, was to have them over and to share a meal. Like that was, you know you have arrived when that happened, you know. You ever have friends where like you, when you move from being able to like, you don't have to like ring the, the front doorbell anymore, you know, they're just like, come on in, whenever. Or they're like, even better, yeah, like here's a key, you know, like here's where our secret key is and. Uh, you can just kind of barge on in, and maybe you go from eating in the dining room to like, let's just stand around the kitchen and like eat out of the same pot, you know, that kind of stuff. Not that people do that, but they might. Um, there were some some friends like uh, a lot of years ago. You guys know what a what a pazuki is? All right, it's like a black skillet with a cookie cooked in it, and then they just dump ice cream on top of it, and you just like eat it, right? And so I think it's like at BJ's, I think is the restaurant where they have, have that. And they bring you this little bitty skillet that's like that. And um, well, this, these friends were like, we're going to make one, but we're going to use a big old skillet and a big old cookie and a gallon of ice cream or whatever. And so they made this big cookie and all this ice cream. And we like stood around this deal and just like common, common spoon the whole thing because we just didn't really care because we were that close. So that kind of, like, that kind of closeness, uh, I mean, it was gross, but it was awesome still. Um, that's how you know you're real friends. You can be gross, and it's okay. And so, uh, breaking of bread in homes at that time, what we need to read into that is, like, this was deep, meaningful fellowship that happened among them. Um, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Having favor with all the people, that's, uh, that's really understood to mean that even outside of... Like what was going on among them, they were received favorably. Now there was persecution and that, like that kind of stuff. So it's not to say that everything was like hunky dory, but there was a favor that existed. There was something going on there that people on the outside looked in and they were like, "That's pretty awesome, right there." They might disagree with some of it, but they're like, "That's pretty cool that they're that they're connecting with you know." There's something special going on, and it says the Lord added to their number day by day. 
those who are being saved. That through this kind of, of uh, like rhythm of community, God was bringing new people into the family all the time. Uh, if you turn over a little bit into chapter 4, verse 32, there's a, there's a kind of a similar passage. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So there was a unity of heart and soul. Some translations have the word mind in there. So you have all these people from these different places and different stuff, whatever, but there was a unity that existed. Uh, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but had everything in common. So we see this, this generosity, this sharing uh, you know, that's going on among them. Verse 33, With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So in this context of fellowship and community and generosity, they're talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And with just this ridiculous amount of grace, God was just blessing what was going on as they live life together in this way. Verse 34, There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So that was the regular rhythm of stuff. Is like The apostles were like, hey, we have, there's all these needs that are coming in. There are new people coming in. There are people being you know, kicked out of their families, neglected, isolated, all this kind of stuff. They're a part of us. We need to meet their needs. And so if you've got something you can sell, go sell it and bring us the money. Now, if, that, if I were to announce that on a Sunday night, I'd be like, oh, this dude has lost it. But to them, it was like totally normal. It's like, okay, no, i got some stuff I can get rid of. And they would sell it, bring the proceeds, lay it at the apostles' feet, and trust them to take that money and meet the needs of the people. Here's one example, is verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle, the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's this one guy. That's exactly what he did. He went and sold a plot of land, which could be, have been very valuable to him, brought him a lot of money, that kind of stuff. Sold it, brought the money, gave it to the, the pastors and said, meet some needs with this. So when you read those descriptions... There, is, there, something really special was going on that we are that we are to step in line with, um, and and I believe that God has been uh, like shaping this in us over the last several years. Um, that uh, we've been learning learning this and then relearning this and like fig- like we're figuring this stuff out. That this is a part of discipleship. It's part of what it means to follow after Him. Um, it happened really early here, but a lot of times now, I mean, that was a long time ago. Nowadays, it seems to take a little bit longer in some ways. But uh, when you read those two descriptions, there's, really, there's two really significant things that are happening. Um, well, there's a bunch of significant things happening. I want to focus on two of them, one, one tonight, one next week. Um, the one for tonight is the fact that there seems to be a lot of space 
for other people in the way that they live their lives. That they were making room for others constantly. And we are like grafted into this story. We're, we're tied to this. We're, we have this in front of us as an example, as a model. Um, this is supposed to, like we talked about last week, it's supposed to teach us and correct us and warn us and set us upright and equip us for every good work. That's part of why we have this. Um, it's to say, okay, they made a lot of space in their lives for others. Let's make a lot of space in our lives for others. Um, so turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 19. It's our old friend. When I say old friend, some of you weren't here when this passage became our friend. So maybe it's a new friend to you. There's this idea that God conveys in the very beginnings of things. So we see that this, this uh, creating space for people is not a new concept. And that's probably why they took to it so quickly. So let's think about this for a second. They were, like all of these new Christians, like almost, almost exclusively, were, they were they raised Jewish, converted to Christianity as a part of like the church being born. Um, so everything that they're doing, like, like when, when we read the Old Testament, that is what's what they grew up with. Reading it, studying it, praying it, memorizing it. So maybe one reason they took to it so quickly is because creating space in your life for other people was not a new instruction. It was already built in. It was built into the life of Israel. It was built into the life of, of the entire like, Jewish family. It was a part of the way that they thought um, or a part of the way they were supposed to think. You know, This was not brand new information. It just made a lot of sense. And we can go all the way back to this point. We could probably go back further, but we'll just go back here. In Leviticus chapter 19, look at verse 9 and 10. I don't know if your Bible says this, but the, the heading of the paragraph in the ESV says, Love your neighbor as yourself. So I wonder where Jesus got that from. Oh yeah, from the book he wrote. Uh, he just got it. It was just there already. And so that's a, a lot of why that made sense as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. So look at 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Alright, so... The base instruction is, is just that. So let's say that you own a field and you're growing grain of some sort. So when it's time to harvest it, all around the outside border of your field, you don't want, you don't, you're not going like, to gather all the way to the edge. You're going to leave a margin around, all around the outside of it. Or if you own a vineyard, uh, you know, grapes naturally fall off or whatever. He's like, don't worry about those. You leave those. All right, that's the basic instruction. We see in 33 and 34, he adds a little bit to it. Look at verse 33. 
When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So we see this connection in these two parts of the, of the verses. And in, uh, in verse 10, he says to leave the grapes or the grain or whatever, to leave it for the poor and the sojourner, the one who's on a journey. So living among them, you had people who were living in poverty, or you had people who were like, like passing through. They were on a journey somewhere. And so whether, you know, in either situation, they didn't have the means to buy food. So the instruction here is you who are growing food, you leave margin in the field or you leave grapes on the ground for those who don't have a covering, a financial covering, a family covering for those who are strangers in this land. Um, In other words, you make space for them in your life. You make space for them in your crops. You make space for them in your business. You make space for them because you have something that they need. And you can meet that need simply by just not... Don't gather your crops all the way to the corner. and Leave the grapes on the ground. You have something to offer them. It's a very simple concept, you know, when you think about it. It's a very practical way that God is trying to shape his people and into being generous with their possessions. But deeper than that, to be generous hearts and minds. To think naturally. And it's interesting that he doesn't tell them, he doesn't give them like a measurement, you know. He doesn't say, come in ten feet off the corner. He leaves that to the discretion of the landowner. I think that's kind of, that's just a fascinating thing. Because as a landowner, you can be as generous as you want to be. So some guys might come in five feet, some might come in ten feet. One year, you might come in twelve feet in another year, oh. Only three feet this year, you know. It's not a rule. He's not saying, hey, I'm going to give you these laws and these rules that you have to follow. He's really saying, this is the kind of person that I want you to be. This is the kind of people that I want my people to be. And when you look in 33, look at that again, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. So what he's saying is, you have these people on a journey. Let's say that let's say that, that they're you know they're just passing through. And all along the way they're worried about getting robbed. They're worried about uh, like physical dangers of a journey, you know, uh, heat exhaustion and those kinds of things, getting lost, you know, everything was was by foot. And let's say that everywhere they go and they're in need, nobody will help them. Nobody will help them. Or they'll take advantage of them. Maybe they'll rob them. Maybe, you know, whatever. What if every group of people they get to mistreats them over and over and over again? And then they get to this new place. It's like, why, why are these people so kind? Why didn't this guy 
whoever owns this big field of grain, why didn't, why didn't they harvest all the way to the edge? It doesn't make any sense. It's not like, oh, look, they missed a, a patch over there. It's like, no, there's this 10-foot wide strip going all the way down this side of the thing. Like, what's going on? And those are not workers that are gathering. Those are, those are other people on a journey. We know the difference, you know. And you see in the, with, um, in the story of Ruth where Boaz is, is this landowner. And in his generosity, uh, there's this like, relationship that, that is there between him and his workers. And also those who are gathering, those who are just passing through, those who are poor. And he interacts with them as well. That what if it's, it's this relational way for people who are coming through and they don't have money and they don't have a family... God says, when they're among us, no one should be needy. No one should be without. Verse 34, very clear. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You treat them like one of, like one of your people. Why? For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. Saying, hey... Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget your history. I'll get to that in a little bit. So, in God's people, He is instructing them and shaping them into be, to be the kinds of people who are generous and who create space for other people, who are considering the needs of others and putting the needs of others ahead of their own needs. So where else do we see this in the Bible? Well, we see it in Jesus. That Jesus, as he lived his life, there was space for others. That he didn't ignore the hungry. Even when there were thousands who were hungry, and he was like, all right, let me do this. I'm going to work this miracle real quick and feed these people. You know, We see him have room for others in, regarding his time. You know, He spends time with, he's conversing with this woman at the well in the middle of the day. After this long journey where he's tired and he would have, had, he would have every right to just have, so, have a little me time, you know. And he's like, no, there's space in my life for you. We see it, obviously, in the New Testament church. We see it, we see it with Paul as he goes in and um, goes into the synagogues and preaches Jesus as the Messiah. And people uh, come to know the Lord and he... Um, like trains up some elders and spends deep, meaningful time with them. There's, there's room in his life for that. We see that relationship with Timothy. That doesn't just, just happen. There's space in his life. So if we see it with, with Israel, we see it with Jesus, we see it with the New Testament church, we see it with Paul, we see it with Peter, we see it with, with James, the brother of Jesus. We see this happening. That is a part of what we're called to, is to have room Intentional space in our lives for other people. So let me tell you a couple ways where I think that, that, um, that God's been, I think, challenging our, our congregation, our family here for the last couple years. And I, th- I think we, we continue to follow him in that. Um, a couple of ways where that shows up. One, one would be like just straight, just serving people. That there's space in your life to serve one another. It could be people in your community group. It could be people um, in your neighborhood. It could be um, people that you work with, whatever. You take time to serve people. Uh, all kinds of things come up. But you're like, hey, you need some help with that? 
Well, I've, I have space in my life for you to help you. You know, like, oh, I'm going to need like, probably like six weeks to be able to make space. <laughs> you know, like, sorry, you know. But just to be able to serve people and help them. One of the things our church has done for a long time is help people move. We, we should just start a side business, such as like a moving company. Um, but, but we wouldn't make any money because we wouldn't charge. So that would be a b- bad business. But um, helping people move, there's the simplicity of that. But when someone is like, hey, I've got to be out you know, by this certain date, you either have room already or you make room for them for just serving and meeting some of those basic needs. Um, so that's, that's one way we see it. Another way is um, in just in discipleship, in this, this learning and teaching idea. Um, like a year ago, I did a series, you know, used uh, the yoke. It's actually still over there because I'm just lazy, but it's right over there. Uh, you know, we're like two animals are yoked together, and the, you have one that's a veteran and one that's kind of a rookie, and they, you know, there's this, it's this learning thing, and Jesus says, hey, come learn from me. Take my yoke on upon you. And so... Sometimes Jesus is teaching you directly. Sometimes he's teaching you through another person uh, who has gone before you and learned some things. But this, this teaching and learning from one another, you've got you to have space in your life for that to happen. It doesn't happen accidentally. And I know that, that that's a, a desire. I think all of us have that desire to, uh, to learn from someone who's a little further down the road than us. We have a desire to invest in someone that's maybe a little, that we are a little bit further down the road than they are. One of the big problems, though, is how do we make, how do we create room for that? Well, you do just that. You, you prepare that. You create that. You choose in the field how much margin am I going to have? Maybe you work toward that. Maybe you look at your life right now and you're like, I really don't have a lot of space for other people right now. What can I start to do to create that? If someone is on your heart to teach or to learn from to, in a discipleship relationship, um, you start, like you plan for that. You, just like if you're saving up to purchase something, you're coming up with a plan to be able to do that financially. Well, you do the same thing. How do I create space in my life for this person? Or um, how can I convince them to create space for me? You know? um, so discipleship, we see it. Another, another place that we see it is just in, in uh, hospitality. You know, and not that, that's, was, it's definitely one of the words that here at the, at the ring, it's kind of like worked its way through the cycles of teaching and stuff because it's a really huge thing all throughout the Bible. Not just being nice to each other and throwing really great you know, tea parties or whatever. I don't know if people do that. But um, not, the, not just that kind of hospitality. But the, the kind of hospitality that, that lets people know, like, hey, there's, there's room in my life for you. There's all kinds of different ways that that happens. You come on a Sunday night, there can be room for other people in your life, and there cannot be room for other people. There can be room for other people and like, hey, I'm not going to just walk by this person that I don't know. You know, that kind of thing. It takes time to introduce yourself. It takes, 
It, uh, sometimes it takes just this, this incredible amount of courage to walk up to a stranger and be like, hey, I know we've never met, but this, you know, this is who I am. Uh, who are you? You know, that kind of thing. We certainly live in a world where we're, we're told all the time that it's okay to not do that. You know? Our natural gravitation is, is away from those kind of things that maybe are uncomfortable, but a lot of it comes down to, do you really believe that you have something this person needs? So let's, take just, let's just take that. Let's take just, you go to church, and let's say you're here every single week, you go in, there's someone that's here for the first time. So if you're here for the first time, I'm sorry if this is kind of weird. So I acknowledge that. So let's say that you're, you're here every week. Someone is here for the very first time. Um, do you think that you have something that they need? Absolutely. You have so much that they need in that, in that moment. In that situation, um, so I, I'll, I'll use myself. In that situation, I'm the landowner. And I have this field of grain. And the person who's there for the first time is the sojourner. This is the person who doesn't have a sense of family that's coming into a room full of people that all like, act like their family. You know? So in that moment, what do they need? They need a family. Even if it's just for one, one night. They need a family. What do I have? I have all y'all. I have a family. I have this field. So have I, have I created space in my life for that person? Do I believe that I have something that they need? Well, if I walk right by them, then no, I have not created space. And so shouldn't this be the most hospitable place? You know, Shouldn't the gathering of the saints be the, like, the place where the with the widest margin that's been cut. That regardless of someone who's coming for the first time, regardless of why they're here, even if it's just for that one you know, hour, hour and a half time, they're like, man, they, they treat me like family. You know? Like, well, the music was too loud and the preacher was boring, but man, they were super nice to me. You know? Isn't that better to walk away with you know, than, than, the, than the inverse of that? That's what God wanted from his people. He said, I want, when people sojourn through your land, I want them to be able to say, those people took care of me like I was their own. I think that's the same thing he wants. When people come into not only our church services, when they come into our lives. So hospitality is not just something that happens here. It happens in your community group as well. When someone comes for the first time, you know, we're like, hey, your group needs to constantly convey this idea that, like, we've created, there's room for you in this group. And sometimes it's as easy as, like, hey, won't you sit here, you know? Won't you have this seat? Hey, I don't know you yet. Hey, let me tell you what's about to happen, because our, sometimes our groups go, like, super deep, and it can kind of be weird. So you don't have to talk. It's perfectly fine. You're welcome to talk, but you don't have to talk. It's totally cool. Um, and uh, afterwards, if you have any questions, I'll be glad to explain to you some of the things that go on. Because sometimes, you know, it happens. You know, like that hospitable environment that we create. But not only, not only in official like, church stuff, like Sunday or community group. It's the same thing in your life. You know, with your coworkers and classmates and neighbors and stuff. 
Is there space? Is there, is there a hospitality happening between you and them? Like, do they, know, do they know that you have time for them? Do they know that they can like, sojourn through your life and they're going to be treated like family? Do you have those neighbors that the only time you see them is when you happen to both be walking in the mailbox at the same time? Is that 45-second encounter like just a ridiculous display of what biblical hospitality looks like? Doesn't mean you have to like hit them with the Bible or give them a track or anything like that. Like, can you be kind and and can there be space in your life enough for them to know like that person legitimately cares about them? Uh, you know, that person cares about me and they don't even know who, my name. Can that can that exist in our lives? Can that be the case in our friendships? Can it be the case the people you work with and live around and you know, that kind of stuff? So we see that this creating space thing, sometimes we're serving, sometimes it's in a teaching, learning, discipleship relationship. Sometimes it's just in the, in the hospitality about the way that we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves and all that kind of stuff. But we see it in Jesus. We see it in his church. We see it in the, the early church fathers. We see it in the nation of Israel. God is shaping us into the kind of people who have room in their lives for others. That considering the needs of others and putting their needs ahead of yourself is just a natural, rhythmic thing. So it makes perfect sense that when this first group of Christians were born and this church emerged, it makes perfect sense why that kind of generosity and of like relational hospitality was there is because it was already built into the way that they thought. And all God had to do was use a simple field of grain or a vineyard to convey something very deep. Say, hey, there better be some margin in your life for other people because that's, that's the kind of God I am. So let me give you a couple of practical ways to cultivate this. One would be to continue to grow in your relationship with Jesus. It will na- this will naturally happen. You cannot, you cannot continue to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ without space naturally forming in your life for other people. So this isn't like a new, like, hey, let me give you, let me give you something to add to your life. It's like, no, uh, keep pursuing the things that you're already pursuing. Uh, and I'm assuming that you're pursuing that. Uh, so our rhythms of prayer and scripture and community and all those kinds of things, continuing in that, um, you will find yourself over time more and more getting to where that humble considering the needs of others is just more and more natural. So one practical way to cultivate like, even more change in this area of life is just to keep doing what you're doing. Um, another one would be to think correctly about these various environments. So you can, you know, you can go to work or go to school or go to community group or go to church or go to whatever. You can just kind of just show up and just kind of default your way through it. Or you can go into that with some anticipation, you know. You can go into that and it can be this like a real, like a prayerful thing of like, Lord, will you, will you help me to see people around me who have needs? 
Let me, help me see people I can serve. Help me see people who are, who are maybe having a hard time that I can reach out to. Will you give me random encounters with my neighbors? Will you, will you help me to spot people who are new at community group or new at church or whatever? You can come into these things and get ready for that. So tonight, before the service started, every week at 4.30, one of our elders leads us through a time of prayer. And tonight, we just prayed for this. We just prayed that these environments, in here, the nursery, everything would be like, hey, there's room for you here. And I don't know if that made a difference in like, the way that you thought about things. But I, it makes a difference when we pray. And so maybe that becomes just a, a, a normal prayer. If this is important to you, it just becomes something you pray for. You put it on the radar and you see correctly the potential of where you work, where you live, where you serve, where you worship. That's the second one. Third one. Um, Realize that you have something to offer, which I touched on already. Realize that, that maybe something that they're needing in that moment is something that you have to offer. So perhaps the need is like, is maybe there's someone that you um, work with that all they need is someone to be compassionate. Someone that just says, hey, I noticed that you were, it just looks like you're having a hard time. And you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but... Um, I'd be glad to talk or sit down, but just know I'm praying for you, and if you need anything, I'm here. Maybe that's all they need. Maybe on the other end of, maybe it's super practical. Maybe you're, you're at church, you're going somewhere, you're like, hey, I don't, know who, I don't know that person. You go up, you introduce yourself, and they're like, hey, where are the bathrooms? You're like, oh, I know where the bathrooms are. I can tell you that. So in that moment, they need to know where the bathrooms are, and you are able to meet that need with all your knowledge, you know. Sometimes it's just as simple as those kinds of things. But you have to believe that you have something to offer. You're never going to disciple someone if you're convinced that, that you are not good enough. You're never going to create space in your life for that relationship if you just keep believing the lies that you won't contribute a single thing to the life of another person. You will, like, so, you get what I'm saying. You really, you really, you and I have to dial into this truth that we have something that other people need. Whether it's really deep or whether it's just something that's very practical, whatever it is. And that will change the way we go about things. We'll create space in our life for other people when we really believe that we can contribute somehow. The next thing um, imitate Jesus in every setting. That's just it's as simple as I can put it. So how would Jesus go to class? You'd do that. How would Jesus exist in the home? That's how it's going to be. If Jesus had neighbors, how, what would that relationship look like? If Jesus were to show up at church and see someone who he didn't know, what would he do? All those kinds of things. Imitate him in every setting. Two more. Uh, Steward your time well. Obviously, creating space for other people brings with it the stewardship of your time. And so we make space and we order our lives in such a way that there's time naturally built into it. So if you are overscheduled in your life, even if it's with really, really great things, 
There probably isn't room there for others. And I don't say that to beat you up um, or anything like that. That's not an indictment on you. That's an indictment on, on myself as well. That there are so many times when I'm just, just trying to get through the day. I haven't stewarded my time very well. I haven't said, I haven't said no to some things. I've just said yes to too much, you know. I'm just burning the candle at both ends and all that kind of stuff. And then there are times when, when I do see people that have a need. When I do see opportunity, I do see those things, but yet I just can't tear myself away from everything else I have going on, that kind of stuff. So I'm in that boat, so don't hear me saying, you, 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 you. I'm looking in the mirror when I'm saying that. So this is, a, this is on us, you know. We have an issue with time management and stewardship. And sometimes it's most evident by the fact that we don't have a lot of margin. And so if you want to cultivate change in this, then like, we really need to get serious about like, our, like, stewarding our time just as well as we steward our money, as well as we steward our children, steward our marriages, and steward our faith. It's all this, like, God's entrusted you with this stuff, entrusted me with this stuff. Um, So that's a very important one. Here's the last one. Um, Don't be a wimp. That's what it says. I don't know. You just, you you can't be a wimp with people, you know? Like, you just can't be like, oh, somebody else will talk to them. I don't don't really know what to say. If you're scared of, if, if this is all because you're scared of people, then that becomes something that you pray about and bring to the Lord and let Him speak into. But there's, just, there's too much at stake. And here's where, here's where it lands. Here's the, the, the final thing. Look back at verse 34. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So brief history of, of Israel. Um, remember Joseph, who was sold into slavery and that kind of stuff, and rises and becomes this really powerful man in Egypt, and there's a famine, and so all of his family members come over into Egypt, and uh, they're just like begging, they're starving for food, and Joseph is the guy in charge of food. And they have all this stuff, and he saves his family and stuff like that. And it's just really just phenomenal story. You know, just, just, it's just beautiful. It's amazing. And, but then, so they settle down in Egypt. Joseph dies, and then other people take over. And the Egyptians go from treating these strangers like family to basically being like, hey, we have all this slave labor now. They turn them into slaves. And so that's where... That's where all that stuff comes from. So God's telling them, he's like, hey, don't forget, you know what it's like to be the stranger in a strange land. You know what it's like to be treated like family, and you know what it's like to be taken advantage of and put into slavery. So don't forget, don't forget that. He says, so now that, now that I have led you out of slavery, and I've brought you into this well, they're not there yet, but you know what I'm saying. Now that there's this whole new momentum that's started, when you have your own land, when you have fields of grain and vineyards, you, you cut those corners wide. 
you leave those, those big margins in there. You don't forget what it's like to be excluded. And so the lesson for us is this. Hospitality, discipleship, service, creating space for other people. You know what it is an exact mirror of? It's the gospel. It's an exact mirror of what Jesus did for you and for me. Because you and I were strangers to him. We were aliens in a foreign land. We were enemies of God. We were the sojourner that had a need. And Jesus, I mean, no one's cut a margin in his life the way that Jesus did. He just gave us the whole field. And he looked at us and said, hey, you should be my enemy that I should destroy. But yet I'm going to bring you into my family and not only give you a seat at the table, I'm going to make you sons and daughters. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your identity. And not only just for a couple of days while you're passing through, I'm going to bring you to a new kingdom that is a forever and ever and ever without end kingdom. He creates space in the kingdom in his life for you and for me. So, what do you think that says when someone comes to community group, comes to church, or comes into your life, and you're like, I ain't got time for you. That's a reflection that says, you know what, God didn't have time for you either. Or, could we be the inverse of that? Could we be the kind of people that create enough space so when people come in, they're like, I was treated like family. And that not only means that those people are awesome, it means that their God is doing something among them. Because when people are welcome at, a, at the gathering of a church, God uses that to say, you're also welcome in my kingdom, my family, my house. When someone feels welcome in your life, when you're like, oh, they've created space for me, God will use that to tell them, you know what, there's space for you in the gospel as well. So it's a, so much more than just like, all right, we've got to have good PR as Christians. Like, No, it's, it's deep and it's meaningful. And so maybe the most practical thing we can do to continue to cultivate this in our lives is to let our understanding of the gospel keep, keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. Maybe that deep gratitude that we have from the Lord, that He made, made space for us, will make it even more natural to extend that to others. I know that He's like been shaping that in us, and there's so much. I mean, we've, I feel like as a congregation, we've grown and grown and grown. I feel like the Lord's like, but yeah, but don't take, don't take your foot off the gas. Just don't. Just keep it floored. Let me, let me, let me keep, keep doing this among you. And there's some things on the horizon for us as a church that I think are going to make this even more important, more important than it's ever been for us. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, tonight, we're just going to respond to the goodness of the gospel through some songs that we've sung for a long time here. And uh, you, you might know them. If you're here for the first time, you might not know it. It's all right. Just, just listen. It'll be great. But uh, let's stand together. And we're just going to do that. We're just going to celebrate God's hospitality to us. So let me, let me pray for us.